Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. John chapter 15, verses 12 to 13, it says, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. If you would, we're going to pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your presence that we've already felt. Thank you for your new mercies, for waking us up, for getting everyone here safely, Lord, to gather together into your house, for the ability to fellowship and live in communion with you. God, I pray that your will would be done through everything spoken, every illustration, everything today, Lord, that you would just be glorified, Lord, and that we would have open eyes to see, ears to hear, and a spirit to receive what you want your people to receive today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk with you guys about the love of the Lord and what it does. Obviously, not every single thing that the Lord does and the love the Lord does, because we would be here for a very long time, even if we could, but there are three things that I feel like the Lord has just been working with me on over the past couple months or years. And I want to talk to you today about the story of Hosea and Gomer. Most of us have probably heard the story. It's very interesting. It's not like the most spoken about story on a Sunday morning, but it's a very beautiful story about the Lord's love for us. So beginning in Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, it says that the Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Now, we could go through everything that took place during all these kings' reign, but essentially, it just comes to say that when Hosea began his ministry, it was at a time when things were politically successful, and they were prospering economically. And so the people didn't look to the Lord like they should. And it makes me think that that's kind of how today is. Actually, today, I think, might be a little worse because, my opinion, it's a, little, it's a little hot mess expressed right now, politically and economically, and people still refuse to look to the Lord. But just giving you an idea, things seem to be going well, so people didn't look to God like they should. So the Lord sends Hosea. The verse also implies what we know, that Hosea was a prophet. He was chosen by God, and he was directed to speak forth the word of the Lord and to apply it to his life. So verse 2, it says that when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. And to me, it's interesting that this is Hosea. We've been introduced to him. He's a prophet. And you expect for this like big miracle, this big act to take place, this big proclama- proclamation and declaration to the people. And the first thing that we get is the Lord speaking to Hosea about something for him to do for his own life. So before he can speak to the nation, he has to hear from God for himself. And to me, it's the same concept that you see 
when Jesus speaks in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, and he says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And to me, it tells me that your public blessing, this big blessing you get, it's greatly influenced by your private integrity. How can we expect the Lord to just bless us with these great opportunities if we aren't faithful with what he's already provided? And it's not that he can't bless, like he's lacking, and it's not that he doesn't love us, he doesn't want us, he doesn't want to bless us, but he tells us if we're dishonest with a little bit, we'll be dishonest with the big. So why should he trust us with more? Why would he trust us with a nation of people if we can't handle ourselves first, if we can't handle the little bit that he's given us first? So before Hosea can go speak to this nation, he has to hear what the Lord tells him to do for himself. And that's part of being a Christian, is that we have to know the word. We're new creations. It's not us who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. And so we have to give ourselves day in and day out to the word and the will of the Lord so that he can use us. So that brings me to the first point, the love of the Lord gives. John 15, 13, going back, it says, there's no greater love than to lay down one life, one's life for one's friends. So here we see Hosea, and he gives up his life to live into the submission and the will of the word of God. And I wonder what it looks like for us when we read this verse. A lot of times when I hear that verse, greater love has no one than to lay down one's life for one's friends, it makes me think that it's just this big act. It's this one-time big act where I would stand in front of a bullet for you, and I would give up my life for you. But the Christian walk isn't just this one big act. It's a day-to-day walk. And so I wonder what it looks like when we view that verse differently. Every day, there's no greater love than for me to lay down my life for one's friends. So I give my life to Christ, and in doing so, now I have to love like the Lord, and I have to give like the Lord. And so what what does that mean? Maybe, Maybe some of us really will be drawn and called to lay down our lives in a physical way, in this big, bold act. But what if it looks like the day to day walk that we die to ourselves? And it costs us time, and it costs us money. It might cost us a position at our job. It might cost us a reputation, a little bit of respect. It might cost us our opinion on a matter. That's something that we have to give. When the Lord says to do something, it doesn't really matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter how silly you look, how awkward it's going to make you. What matters is that if the Lord says to do it, you do it. And so it's one of my prayers that's been for myself and for us is that we would be a people of obedience without hesitation or a reservation. Because if you're like me, sometimes the Lord will tell you to do something and it takes you like five nudges before you actually do it. And so I feel like that's been a big thing for me is that when the Lord speaks, I wanna, I wanna be so trusting and so faithful and so obedient that I'll just move without any hesitation. Whatever it looks like, whatever he says, no matter how awkward or weird or silly or how crazy I might look, if he says to do it, you just do it. Because we don't have all this time. I want us to live like, and the Lord wants us to live obedient to him. Not like we've got all this time in the world because the reality is you don't know how much time you have here. The Lord could come before we even get out today. But even so, if you are 15, but you only have till you're 20, you're kind of old. And if you're 40, but you've got till 100, you're kind of young. 
So you don't know how much time you have. So we've got to be obedient with the time that we do have because the Lord has appointed each and every single one of us for this time, for this generation, for this season of history to reach a particular people group that no one else in the room is equipped to reach. I can't reach your people and you can't reach mine. But the Lord has destined each and every one of us with all that we need to reach those that he's placed in our lives. So we've got to be able to move and give and do what he says to do when he says to do it. And it makes me think to this passage in scripture, and it's a really weird passage for me. Um, A couple, maybe even years ago, I was going through Exodus, the story of Moses, and came apart came across this paragraph, and it really threw me for a loop. You're reading about Moses, and he's, you know, arguing with the Lord, like, I can't speak. Just send somebody else, Lord. And so he's like, okay, I'll send Aaron. And so everything seems to be going good. Moses has his call on his life, and the Lord's equipped him with who he's going to do it with, and he's got his wife and his sons on a donkey, and they're just moseying on their way to Israel to go do what the Lord's called them to do. And then you hit chapter 4, verse 24, and it says, and on the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stop for the night. The Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. And I was a little confused. Like, Lord, I didn't quite see what happened for you to feel this way about him. But then it says, but Moses' wife Zipporah took a flint knife and circumcised her son. And she touched his feet with the foreskin and said, now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And when she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. And after that, the Lord left him alone. And it just blew my mind because I was like, we just had a, you just, you just called him, you just equipped him, you just anointed him and appointed him, and you gave him this staff and all these signs so that the people will know that you're God, and you sent him to deliver him, and then you just wanted to kill him. And then it was like everything was fine, and it was such an odd chapter to me. But then I realized that for whatever reason, Moses has failed to carry out the instructions about circumcision, this covenant that the people have with the Lord. He's failed to do so. So the Lord confronts Moses, and this has to be made right before Moses can go to Egypt and do what he's called to do. And so there's often a point of confrontation in the life of a leader, and not just a pastor or someone who has a position, but in all of us who have been called to lead a life worthy, to be examples, to be witnesses of the gospel, there's often this point where God demands that you lay aside this area of compromise that you haven't laid aside yet, that you do something he's called you to do many years ago. So some of us can be very giving people and very kind people, and we love the Lord, and we worship the Lord, and we're like, Lord, why haven't you opened this door? And why haven't you answered the prayer? And why haven't you just sent this blessing? And why haven't I been able to enter into this new season of life? And there's this area that we haven't fully surrendered yet, that we haven't laid aside yet. See, not all the stuff gets to go with us where the Lord wants to take us. And not all the people get to go with us where the Lord wants to take us. And if you want to get there, you're going to have to let it go. Because the Lord's called us, and he's equipped us, and he has anointed and appointed, and you can see it, but you've got to let go of the things that are holding you back from getting into that land to do what he's called you to do. So I want to encourage, it's not just me, but everyone, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal if there are any areas of compromise. If there's anything that you haven't surrendered yet, or maybe like me, sometimes you've laid something down and you picked it right back up again because it was comfortable. It's what you knew, or you didn't feel worthy enough to do what the Lord's called you to do. I want us to lay those aside, to be a people obedient, ready to move. And so here we see Hosea, and he's given up his life. He's given up what he wants to do, and he's obeying the Lord. And the Lord tells Hosea, 
go marry a prostitute. And so he does. And together they have three kids that we learn about. And as custom, you know, Hosea tells his wife what they name their kids, but the Lord tells Hosea, this is what I want you to name them. And so the first one is Jezreel, which means that the Lord's going to withdraw his protection. Israel's going to suffer a military defeat. And then they have another child. And the Lord tells Hosea that you're going to name this one Lobrupama, which means no mercy. And then their third one, Loami, which means not my people. I'm not a mom yet, but these are not names on my potential baby name list. Just going to throw that one out there. I don't think I would look at my, my child and say, not my people. <laughs> and so I could only imagine the obedience it takes to hear from the Lord to name your child something that has such a negative tone. But if you go on, the Lord does what he does, and he redeems people, and he changes names, and he turns stories around. But looking at Hosea and Gomer, if you go to chapter 3, it says, Then the Lord said to me, the Lord's speaking to Hosea, he says, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. To my second point, the first one, the love the Lord gives, gives of itself, gives up itself. Second one, the love of the Lord goes. The Lord has called Hosea to go and love her again, even though she's with someone else. He's called him to go and love her. So go, just moving, traveling, doing it more than once. And I wonder how painful it is for Hosea and how awkward it is to go find someone who's intentionally running away from you, pursuing other things. And that's one of the things that you give up when you become a follower of Christ, is you give up that right to wallow in self-pity when someone's done you wrong. And you give up the right to live in this victimized mindset because you're more than a conqueror, because this doesn't defeat you, because you forgive because Christ forgave, and you love because Christ loved. And so here's Hosea, and he's looking for his wife, a prostitute. And where do you go looking for a prostitute? Like, if I asked you, like, hey, go find a prostitute and bring him to church, you're not going to go to, like, the fanciest place in the city. You're going to go to those dirty streets, those creepy, dark alleys. You're going to go places that, if I were there, you'd be like, what are you doing? Like, you don't go there. You don't go there by yourself. You don't go there at night. You really shouldn't be seen there with those people with that kind of activity. People of God don't go to these places. But here's Hosea. And he's looking for his wife, of all people. And so somewhere in these verses, Gomer's found herself in this situation. Maybe she loved Hosea, and she's had multiple affairs. Or maybe she just got caught up with this one wrong person. But either way, we find her now being sold into slavery, into prostitution. And so slaves at that time could be bought for various reasons. They could be bought to help out with the land, to help raise kids, female slaves at that time, could have been bought for both to help with domestic duties or for sexual services. But Gomer, if you, if you do a little research, she's not really that valuable among the lineup here because the price that Hosea pays for her is only 15 shekels and a bunch of barley, which is about half the price of a female slave back then. And so we don't know why her price is low, but obviously she's not as valuable with these potential buyers. But here's Hosea. And I wonder what the scene is like when Hosea comes up and he sees his wife. 
probably shackled, bound, and just being sold to the highest bidder. And at the very least, she's recognizable to him. He knows it's her, and he sees his wife and the mother of their three kids. And I can imagine he might say, excuse me, sir, but that's my wife. I don't care who you think she is and what relationship you have to her, but this is her price. Because this is now what she's bound into. And so Hosea pays for something that's already his. And he buys his wife back. I have a question. I have $50. Who wants it? Come here. Somebody, come here. I'm being so serious. I'm giving it away. Somebody, come here. <laughs> Do you want it? Yes. Okay. Do you want it? Do you want it? Yes. Do you want it? It's because it hasn't lost its value. You can have it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you came from and how you got where you are and how many times you've been beaten and bruised and thrown away and trampled upon, you have not lost your value. And that's just money. That's stuff that we make. But I want you to understand, Psalm says in 24.1, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and the world and all its people belong to him. See, we are the unique possession of our creator God. We are already his. But 2,000 years ago, he paid a dear price, not this half a slave's price, and not $50, but he paid with his only begotten son's blood to purchase back what was already his. And so as Hosea goes searching for his wife, the Lord came searching for us. And when he found us, we weren't neat, and we weren't put together, and we weren't sitting on the church pew waiting for the Lord singing beautiful songs, but we were Gomer, and we were bound and shackled to our sins and we were dirty, and we were messed up, and the Lord looked at us and loves us and knows how valuable and how priceless you are, and he said, how much to purchase her back? And he paid such a dear price. So if we could see how valuable we are and how much the Lord loves us, that he not only created us, but he pursued us, and he bought us back, and he blesses us with his presence, and he anoints us with his power, and he continues to pursue us, and to convict us, and to correct us when we need it. If we could just grasp how valuable we are in the eyes of our God, then we should know how much other people need to know that. And the Lord has called us to go, and go again, because the Lord paid the dear price one time, but he pursues us each and every day. He goes after us, and he draws us close to him each and every day. And when you listen in Luke, when the Lord tells the parable of the great feast, the master has created this great feast, and he tells his servants, go get the guest, and they come up with all these excuses, and the master gets angry, and he says, go in the streets and the alleys, and then go in the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anybody that you find to come. So the Lord urges us to go, go here, go there, go everywhere, like Dr. Seuss, 
do it. But the Lord says, go, and anybody that you find, you tell them to come. We're supposed to go, and go again, and go love again, even though someone did you wrong, and go again, even though they don't want to hear it, and go again, because that's what the love of the Lord does, and that's what he commands of his people. And so sometimes, my concern is that we get very comfortable, and we just sit, and we're okay in our own walk with God the way it is. And we can watch other people thrive and watch other people be anointed and be blessed. And it's like a, it's like a sport. It's like, it's like how some people view worship as a spectator sport. You just like to watch other people get it. And you don't realize that there's so much for you. And that the Lord wants something for you. And he has something for you, but you're comfortable. And the Lord says, get up and go and do what I've called you to do. And he will continue to bless and pour out on you. And sometimes you're like me. I have these moments where the Lord says, go, and you're stuck. And you can kind of see that there is something that the Lord has. I think a lot of us get this way. Like, you, you want it. You can feel it. There's an anticipation. You know the Lord wants to do something in your life, but you, but you don't want to move. What if I mess up? Can you come here for a second? So we stand here and we wonder, like, what if I mess up? What if I don't go in the right direction? What if I fall? And what if someone sees that and, like, it messes them up? Or what, what if, kind of like Aaron said, what if, what if it's not God? So you stand here and you just wait. But you're like, but Lord, I, I see what you want to do. Like, I'm a little, I'm not bold enough to move there. But, like, I want to be there. So just, just, just move me, Lord. And we want the Lord to just, to just move us. And it's not how this works. Because you don't get all that you need to be equipped to get where you're at by the Lord just plopping you there. There's a process and there's a journey and you have to take the first step. It's part of the faith is you have to take that first step. You don't, you don't get to see everything. But the Bible, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So I just have to take one step. Take one step, please. How much easier is it for me to get her where I want her if she takes one step? And that's what the Lord says. How much more willing? You can sit down. Thank you. I promise I wasn't trying to beat her up because she knocked me out. But, but the Lord's like, how much easier and how much more conforming to my will are you when you just take a step in faith? And you recognize that I'm right there. And I'm going to direct you. And I'm going to order your paths. And I'm going to take you and block you from things that you don't need to have. And I'm going to put you in positions you didn't know were there. So you could meet people you didn't even know that you needed to meet. To do what I've called you to do. But you have to move. And you have to go. And the more you do so. And the more you walk in faith. And you become obedient. And you recognize that the Lord is who he says he is. And he's not leaving. And he's not forsaking. The more comfortable you get. The more obedient you get to walk without a hesitation or a reservation. And you can go further places. So we don't know all the time where the Lord wants us to go. He just said, go. He will equip the places. He will order your steps. If you will just give it to him, he'll direct your paths. He'll make them straight. He'll tell you where to go. 
but there are people that the Lord has placed in our lives that they're depending on us to do what the Lord's called us to do. And we've got to be ready for it. So the love of the Lord, it gives and it goes. And our last one, the love of the Lord gathers. Now it might seem a little contradictory to the last point, but there's a time and place for everything, right? The Lord knows how to go after and pursue his people and he knows how to draw them in and live in relationship with them and let them be in his presence and just abide there. So Hosea chapter three, verses three to five, Hosea has now bought his wife back and he says to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. And this shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, the people will return and revote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. And so Hosea draws her in and tells her that she's going to live with him and she's going to stop the prostitution and she's going to stop her sinning and she's going to learn how to live with her husband. And the Lord draws us into his presence and he draws us in to dwell with him to make us less like us and more like him to stop our sinning so that we can learn what it is to live in this holy relationship, this holy communion with our God. And the Bible speaks to us on numerous occasions about the importance of living in community with others. The Lord himself is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is in community in himself. We are made to live without each other. The Lord made Eve for Adam. He makes us to be there, to pray for each other, to love each other and lift each other up, to help carry each other's burdens and hold each other accountable. Matthew 8, Matthew 18, in verses 19 and 20, it says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. There's a real power in the agreement in prayer. In the ancient Greek, agree is literally like to symphonize, like an orchestra. It makes me think that we all play different instruments. We all have different levels of experience playing our instruments. But we're all set to the same key. We're all set to the same song, the same tune. Our hearts and desires, they are arranged beautifully when we gather together and we pray to our Heavenly Father together. And so it says where two or three are gathered. Jesus indicates here that the meetings of his people, these Holy Ghost-filled, powerful meetings, they don't have to be large. Don't get me wrong, it's not that Jesus doesn't care about numbers. He wrote a whole book called Numbers. It's really hard to get through sometimes. But he's not a slave to numbers. He's not limited because we don't have a lot of friends. It just takes two or three people. So the large numbers aren't essential. The ranking, the positions of these people meeting, it's not essential. The time of the meeting isn't essential. The place, the style of the meeting isn't essential. It just takes the two or the three. And so it makes me think, in my own life, what I like to do that takes two or three. If you know me, if you hung out with me or talked to me a bit, you know I like to rock climb. And so this tag here stays on my harness when I climb. It doesn't have to, it's just I have it, so that's where I put it. But it just shows that 
people can trust me to take care of them if they climb. So to get this, you had to take this test. Now I'll try to explain it a little bit. I like to do what they call top rope climbing. So essentially, I have a harness. There's a rope attached to me. It's attached to this pulley system up top. And then it's attached to a friend, a coworker, whoever is belaying me. That's what they call it. And so as I climb up, my friend's job is to pull the rope so that there is no slack. So that if for whatever reason, if I let go of this wall, I might fall a little bit, but I'm not supposed to hit the floor. I'm not supposed to get hurt. Really, I shouldn't really fall much at all if they're paying attention. And so this, this test that we take for this right here, it's a very simple test. You have to learn to communicate. First, you have to let them know that we're both set up, we're ready to go. They're gonna say they're climbing. Climb on, I've got you. I'm attentive to you. I'm aware that you're about to start climbing. I'm focused on you, and when you go, I got you. So that if you fall, you're not falling all the way to the floor. And I've come really close sometimes. But it's a nice little process. I mean, you get there, and sometimes it's interesting to me how, like, you can get there and say hi to someone, and, like, five minutes later, you're trusting someone to, like, hold you 20 feet in the air. But there's just two or three of us. It just takes me and one other person, and we could climb for hours back and forth. And that sounds great. That's our two, and that's our three. But that's not all we need. Because sometimes I get tired, or sometimes... I belay someone who is larger than me. And I don't mean like they got five pounds on me. I mean like sometimes someone's like 100 pounds on me. And physics will tell you that if they're up against the wall and I'm trying to hold them and they fall, I'm going up, okay? I've learned this. I'm not going up or I'm going into the wall. And I've been in the wall with my fingers stuck and had to ask someone to come help me. So I have learned that I have to anchor myself to the floor because that keeps me grounded. Because sometimes, and I've, I've gotten better with letting people know who are larger than me, like, yeah, you can't just fall. With me, you gotta, you gotta do the work and climb down a little bit, I can help you out, but don't just let me go. But sometimes, in climbing, we have what's an announced fall, where the person knows, hey, I'm about to fall. Like, I really might not get this, and I'm, it's, it just might not work, and you know and you're prepared. And sometimes, things happen and they just slip and you're not prepared. Or sometimes you're just talking with everyone else and you really weren't prepared that the person you're supposed to be making sure it's safe needs your help. And that's kind of what happens in life. Sometimes you're aware that there's about to be a hard season, whether you can see things going about that way or whether the Holy Spirit lets you know, hey, so-and-so, they're about to go through a hard time and I need you to be in prayer for them and I need you to encourage them and just be with them and pray with them. Sometimes you know, sometimes you don't. But we are supposed to be ready. We're supposed to be on guard and prepared to catch them. And it's not just about the two or three of us, but the essential part of the verse. It's not just where two or three are gathered, but it's where two or three are gathered in my name. It's that you're anchored to the Lord so that whatever happens, you aren't being lifted and you aren't being hurt, but that you're prepared and you're anchored and you can help them out because you're gathered in his name. And I remember the other week, Aaron made a comment about how we shouldn't be surprised when the Lord shows up. The Lord simply says it. And I remember up here in the altar earlier, it was as simple as, Lord, you said it, and I believe it. He says, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he will be. He's there. We shouldn't be surprised. We should be excited that he's there. And so it's important to me, this idea of it just takes two, 
or three, because it really hit me. I believe last summer, when I was watching, a friend gave the sermon, and it was the video of him giving a sermon, and this was part of his altar call. And the video was from his funeral, from suicide. And it just hits me, the simplicity of it just takes two. Like the Lord says, it just takes two. And how many of us are not prepared to be a good second person? I want to be so anchored in the Lord and so obedient to the Lord that you could see me across the room and you could see my life and you could see the example I give and you can see the tests that I've gone through and you can say, hey, I can trust her. If I go to her and I can trust that I can, I can tell her what I'm going through and that she'll pray with me and she'll help hold me accountable and she'll help pull me in and we can learn how to live together and we can learn how to walk in the way of the Lord together. The Lord calls us to be good seconds because he's there interceding for us. He's always right there. And if we're going to love like the Lord does, that means we've got to give up of ourselves. We have to give of ourselves every day to pursue the Lord, to go out and to pursue people, and then to be ready to be there for them, to be that second person who says, hey, we're going to gather together in the name of the Lord, and we're going to bind and release the things that need to be bound and released in Jesus' name because there are people that might know the Lord, but they might struggle, and we've got to be there to be that second person that says, hey, the Lord still loves you, and the Lord still pursues you. It's a simple thought that the love of the Lord gives for us, and he's gone after us, and he's there for us. So the love of the Lord requires us to give and to go and to gather together with our fellow believers. Father God, you're good, and we thank you for today. We thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you have called us, you've created us, you've pursued us. Lord, that you've given us all that we need to be your people, to do what you've called us to do. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people obedient to you, Lord, giving of our lives, giving of ourselves, Lord, to walk in accordance to your word, Lord, to understand how much you love us, how much you desire us, Lord, and how much we can pursue other people, Lord, to pray for them, to help hold them up, God. Father, I pray that you would help us to be good seconds, good thirds, Lord, ready and willing to give of our time, Lord, of all that we have, Lord, so that we can help encourage and lift each other up, Lord, so that we can be a people united in your name, Lord, not defeated, not held down, Lord, but living boldly for you, God, so that we can go out into the world and we can bear witness of your great name, Lord, of your great power, Lord, that you have redeemed us and you have set us free. Lord, we praise you. We thank you, God. We thank you for all that you've done in our lives and what you're going to do because you've began a good work in each and every single one of us, Lord, and you're going to bring it to completion. So I pray that you would give us faith and boldness, Lord, that when you tell us to do something, we would do it because you've proven yourself over and over again that you're faithful and you're true. God, we praise your name, and we just pray that you would bless each and every person, Lord, and they're coming and in their going, God, and you would have your way. In Jesus' name.
Amen. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.